The Circle, a novel by Ed Adams. Dangerous Bends Claire watched the scenery as Chuck continued to drive north at a steady speed for two hours and then turned east onto the I-40. She could tell that both Chuck and Bixie were tired and that this drive was their first chance to unwind, maybe since they had left the hotel back in Scottsdale. We will keep going along this road for about a couple of hours, Chuck said, by then we will be around 250 miles from the Scottsdale Hotel. It is far enough away for us to be harder to trace. And it's also in the right direction for us heading towards the ranges. It will be good to take a break then. I think you and Bixie are way ahead of me about what's happening, said Claire. She considered asking Chuck if he would prefer her to take over the driving, but he seemed engaged with the task on these smooth roads. Chuck signaled and pulled off of the main road and into what looked like a 1950s motel. Claire thought it looked like a classic design and would have made a good venue for a television series. This will be a great spot for us this evening, said Chuck. By now the sun was setting, and there was an orange glow across the scene. They climbed out of the car and Chuck led the way into the small reception of the motel. As they walked across, it amused Claire and Bixie to see a dozen prairie dogs lined up along the roadside, like so many inquisitive meerkats. Chuck asked for four rooms and after a short discussion paid with cash. It's for overnight, he said, and we will leave here early tomorrow morning. Then he turned to Bixie, meantime, we should find somewhere to eat and we can try to explain what has been happening, to update Claire. Across from the motel was a small diner, and they walked across to the entrance. They ordered some burgers and coffees and talked about the last couple of days' events. In the room's corner, a television was playing the local news. A traffic incident showed up. A blue convertible had crashed off a bridge and into a river. Bixie noticed it first. Chuck you'd better look. Is that Mike's car he whispered. Chuck stood up and walked closer to hear the sound better. Bixie, it's happened again. That was Mike. He's gone like Ben. The news report shows his car crashed clean off the bridge and into the river. It was a 100-foot fall. They have not found the body yet, but there's no way that Mike could have survived that. Remember, this was the second attempt to get Mike. I thought he should have changed that car. It was too distinctive. Although, strangely enough, they are not mentioning anything about the car's content. Mike's trunk was fully loaded. If they think there was something suspicious about the car, then they may hold the information back on purpose suggested Bixie, and I presume there's no link back to us. Nothing, said Chuck. I was very careful when we left the car to check for lost belongings. There will be fingerprints and so on but not anything more obvious to create a fast and direct link to us. I wondered about those other bags in the back, said Bixie, they felt kind of heavy. Yes, weapons, said Chuck, Mike had a one-man army provisioned into the trunk of that car. That news means they won't give up looking for me, said Chuck. I think we could give them the slip after we stopped at that shopping mall and then switched to this car. They would need to be very on the ball to keep up with that switch. I think we were also very careful around the airport, so I don't think they have followed us. I think we have an advantage as long as we don't do the things they will predict. But what about going to the military ranges asked Claire, surely, they will expect that. Maybe, said Chuck, 
but it is a huge area to monitor. But what about phones and other things they could use to track us asked Claire. They don't have my cell phone identity, nor either of yours. I didn't give that information to Mike either, said Chuck, at the moment we are clean. They don't know about me, either, said Tom, that could also be useful later on. It's a pity that Bixie has already been linked to me, said Chuck, although I don't think they could link Claire at the moment. When I asked you guys to come over to join me, it was to help me find information without it being detected. Look, Claire, I think we need to bring you up to date. Chuck recounted the previous events to Claire, and Bixie and Tom added what information they could remember. Well we still have one advantage that neither me nor Jake is known to your pursuers, Chuck, said Claire, as Bixie has been seen with you, it could compromise him being involved in the next stage. So, here's what I think is happening from the way you describe it. You, Chuck, and some of your ex-colleagues have been called back to this base where you used to work. We know it's something to do with this special missile guidance but that the project was cancelled. Claire twisted the top of her coffee mug around through a quarter turn. I'm guessing that this guidance technology has resurfaced even if it is defunct and superseded. For some reason the people that know of its existence are being eliminated. Although it's strange because you guys were users of the technology and different people were its inventors. She moved her coffee cup another quarter turn. Agreed, said Chuck. I was thinking the same thing. We were also the people that knew where the individual scientists had gone after they finished their work on this assignment. We were each responsible for the reallocation of between one and three of the lead scientists. I had to take one to Seattle and another one to Washington. Mike had a couple in Portland, Oregon and I think he had another one somewhere in New York. That part was more or less babysitting them until they got to their new roles. Kind of breaking the trail back to New Mexico. So, said Claire, maybe they are trying to track down the originators of the technology. That's a good point, said Bixie, but why would they try to restart this after all of that time? I'm not sure, said Claire, but I wonder if it's because some of the ideas were in the original design were perhaps ahead of their time. That's a good point, said Bixie, if some of the systems worked too slow or were maybe too large then the technology will have moved on. That's it said Claire, maybe with a modern design they can make everything smaller and faster. Chuck said, yes, I think you're right. The idea was to get the little transponder devices to the size of a credit card. Then to mail them about as thin as a credit card too. The early ones we used were about the size of a paperback book, so they were hardly discreet. Chuck, you know I spend quite a lot of time working with technology. Computers and the like said Bixie. I expect nowadays they could shrink the device down to the size you say. It's like the credit cards that can be used for remote payment. There's a little computer inside the credit card and also a large aerial that runs around the edge of the card. I expect for these devices they would also need a small battery, but it will also need to last for I'm guessing several years. Bixie picked up a piece of paper and drew a small sketch. It was a credit card with a microchip on it and an aerial around the edge. He added a small circle about the size of a coin that was the battery. There, said Bixie, my back of an envelope designed for the transponder using today's technology. Claire looked at the picture and then at Bixie. I think you've just drawn something like a transit card. Yes, it's like the Oyster card used in London, but with a self-contained battery, said Bixie, 
all stuff that is readily available nowadays. Which reminds me, I've always wanted to take one of those oyster cards apart. If you are right, then this introduces a whole new small form of targeting device. Such a small targeting device could be planted pretty much anywhere and could remain undetected for a very long time, said Chuck. Although, for regular military use nowadays, they still would not be much good. The speed of activation was a bigger problem. The slow pulses sent out to preserve battery. The reliance on phone carrier signals or Wi-Fi. I can understand why the system was scrapped. Chuck continued, by comparison, we already have pretty sophisticated laser targeting devices which can be used to light up a target from the ground for detonation by either a military plane or even by a drone aircraft. It's much more usable in a field situation. So maybe this is not something for the military question Claire. Maybe for others. I think you are right, said Chuck, maybe this could be something very interesting to terrorists or assassins. I can see what you're thinking, said Bixi, it would be possible to set up a target for future use. Claire nodded, but I suppose that even Google Maps could be used for some of that nowadays. For example, to type in the coordinates using the GPS grid. Yes, said Chuck, that's pretty much how it works in a battlefield nowadays, although the grid can be inaccurate on purpose within a war zone area. These little devices could be used to set up a target which could be very refined such as a person or a vehicle, and it could be used even when GPS is switched off, such as in a war zone. But what about the other parts asked Bixie, you know, the part that goes into the warhead or another device? Chuck said, yes, that was a big problem with the work that was going on. The response time of the system was both technical and physical. I mentioned this when we were together in the desert Bixie. It wasn't easy to make the missiles change direction, and every device needed a different setup of connections. It was a big problem. No standardization. But, of course, if you are a terrorist you don't need all the kinds of weapons to work. You just need one or two said Bixie. Correct and also scary. I'd partly forgotten what it was like working with you too, said Chuck, but now it's all coming back. He smiled. 